previously on Criterion Creeps. Well, uh, another day dawns. uh, Another show will be recorded. And that will be number four in our Criterion Collection Creep. And that's going to be Fellini's Amarcord from 1973. Hey. Hey. Oh, man. Uh, Here's my preemptive uh, review of Fellini. Just fart sounds. Well. So stay tuned, people, uh, viewers. Oh, man. For my hot take on Fellini next week. Please, please tune back in. And now the conclusion. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, where two fools have no other choice now but to go spine number by spine number in order of release of that Criterion collection. You aren't going to do it after all, right? Well, RJ, how are you? I'm doing okay, man. I got uh, what uh, them old people call a summer cold. Oh, no. So that's not too much fun. If you hear me go down on you during the during the cast, just continue, and uh, I'll be looking at you from a better place, which is... The, the alley or the, the garbage can that I'll eventually get into, I'm sure. Well, I hope you so. don't go down on me in the middle of this podcast. Um, oh, oh, Tobias Fute. <laughs> oh, he's back. Well, <laughs> Freud was right. Yeah. <laughs> Freud was right. You know what I mean. I'm not even going to ask you how I, you are now with your, uh, <laughs> with your weird uh, insinuations. Uh, um, I just, you know... You put it out there, and I just have to, you know, I got to do it. I have to. Well, since no one's going to ask me, I'll ask myself. Jarrett, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for asking. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Do you have a summer cold? Not yet. Not yet. Well, I'm going to come by and lick all your door handles later so that uh, (laughs) it just goes into your skin. Well, I'd uh, I'd appreciate it if you didn't do that, but uh, it's not like you have a choice. I guess not. You've never stopped me before. <laughs> oh, so man. there you go, people. This is what you asked for. Well, here we are. Uh, another episode. It's been another week. Uh, uh-huh. This week we're going to be talking about spine number four. Uh, a little I'm record action, but first, RJ. What have you been creeping on since we last spoke? It seems like it's been forever. Ooh, baby, I've been creeping hard this week. I got all sorts of goodies for you, which is probably pretty good because uh, current events are a little slow right now, so we might as well talk about all the the hot stuff I've been watching. Seems Uh, like a perfect time. It's a perfect time, man. Um, To lead things off, keeping in the Criterion Creep fashion... I watched uh, one of our boys, Charles Bronson, watched him up in a primo flick called uh, Shot Toes Land. I, is that how it's? Could you say that, that again? Chato? <laughs> sure. Chato's Land. You look it up. You'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, where he stars as a uh, Apache, uh, and they're 
is people like is it Jack Palance? Yeah, he's yeah Jack Palance from City Slickers fame. Yeah, he uh, and a band of uh, white men come. Uh, they're looking for some revenge, and you know he's gonna serve it out to them in a different kind of way. Um, it's your typical kind of slam slam jam western, but uh, it does have one thing that is just unbelievable, and that is basically an hour and a half of Charles Bronson in a loincloth riding horses jumping off of mountains and just looking real good with just thick shredded abs beefy hams all sorts of hot sweaty man so that that was a primo flick yeah. are you familiar with this film yes uh, i am uh no yeah uh, chuck in that movie he's got a pretty he's an he comes off as an impeccable specimen of like oh, yeah. uh physicality uh, <laughs> yeah he he looks amazing in that movie um there's some really sweet stills if you just look up chato's land and uh yeah just google search image that and uh mm-hmm. boy it's it's uh numb city for the for the discerning bronson fan there you go. Exactly. I, I think those images might even make some fans. I I don't know what, who wouldn't get converted onto hot abs after seeing something like that. You I know. mean, people have been turned on by his mustache before, so you see that in con- inclusion with his long hair and his tan body. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Uh, so, yeah, that was one thing I watched, and mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, the first hour is a little bit of a drag, I think, but... Uh, Later, you see a guy fall face first into fire, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty rad scene. Uh, so that was cool. And then uh, I followed that up with uh, one of my other main men. If anyone's curious, I have four main men. Yeah. I, I've already discussed Chuck Bronson. I've discussed Mel Gibson before. He's one of my main men. Yeah. Uh, then also we got John Goodman. America's mm-hmm. National Sweetheart, who I've also mentioned. And then uh, Brad Dourif, God's favorite son. I don't know if I've ever <laughs> ever brought him up before, but I'm sure. Not yet. Not. I'm sure. I, I've hear heard. I've good, heard about it. But. Yeah, you've heard a good deal about it, but maybe come the uh, October months when I'm knees deep in some Brad Dourif goodness, I'll have more to talk about. But anyways, I, uh, I watched Get the Gringo with uh, one of my main men, Mel Gibson. And that was all right. Um, yeah. It was nice to see Mel back doing stuff. I think if he wasn't in there, it wouldn't be very interesting. But <laughs> it's kind of so he's like an American thief and he gets put into a Mexican prison. Mm-hmm. But the prison is like one of those weird like towns where like families live, but they're also walled in. So like people who aren't prisoners can come and go. So there's like a whole society built in this like weird prison. And he's just like, Mel Gibson basically living in there, hanging out with all of uh, the senoritas and all the hot people. So huh. it was all right. Is everyone so? Is everyone in the town just like they just happen to live there and it's a prison, or are they all criminals? Half of them are criminals, and half of them are like the family of the criminals, like also living there. So like Mel Gibson bunks down with this one senorita, and she's got like a kid, and like the kid lives there. But, like, he's not a criminal. He's just, like, a 10-year-old kid that lives in the prison camp with his mom. Huh. Okay. And, it, like, it, there's, like, a town. So, there's, like, vendors and, like, there's no, like, cells or anything. People are – it's basically, like, free governing. And then you got, like, the dude in, like, the bathrobe who lives up on the penthouse floor, like, controlling the whole prison town, basically. Okay. You know that old chestnut. Yeah. So, what did uh, Mel do to land himself in uh, this fictional prison town? 
Uh, he was a uh, bank robber, and yep. he drove through uh, the U.S.-Mexican border, and uh, his car broke down. He was he was fleeing American cops, yep. and he drove through the border into the Mexi- Mexico zone, and then his car basically broke down, and then he was arrested in Mexico. But they didn't turn him over because he had fat cash after robbing the bank, so the Mexican cops just stole the money and popped him into uh, the shantytown slammer. As they do. As they do. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, it was all right. I liked Mel, but, uh, I mean, it's pretty hard not to like him unless you have some sort of personal gripe about his his everyday life and stuff. But, I mean, there there are worse guys out there. Um, was the movie shot with kind of a perpetual yellow filter over it? I, I noticed that uh, um, Hollywood seems to like doing that when they're uh, trying to show you what Mexico looks like. It usually just means yellow filter. Yellow filter. Yeah, I want to see a scene in traffic and Breaking Bad, probably most famously. Yeah. Ooh, actually, uh, speaking of Breaking Bad, there was a cameo appearance for uh, twenty seconds as one of the American cops, uh, everybody's favorite Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad, Dean Norris. He was playing basically who he was in Breaking Bad, just yeah. didn't get the gringo for like twenty seconds. <laughs> so that was real fun. Great. But, yeah, so that was okay. Yeah. Uh, what else did I get into? Oh, I watched an ultimate slam jammer from the 70s called uh, The Cat from Outer Space. Uh, and if you are unfamiliar with this one, I think it was like 78 or 79. It is a Disney film based on a book that I actually have. If you guys want to see this book, call me up or hit me up on Twitter. I'll send you a picture of me holding the book. Uh, and basically the premise is uh, Spaceship Lands. It's, and they're like, oh, man, it's aliens. But then a cat comes out, and they're like, oh, man, it's just a cat. But the cat can talk, and mm-hmm. he has telekinetic powers. So that's super cool, and he kind of falls into the hands of this scientist, and he's like, you got to help me fix my shit, man. And he's like, whoa, you're talking cat. <laughs> and then hilarity ensues as uh, more people are brought in into the life of this talking cat, and they say, whoa, a talking cat. But no one believes him until he, like, levitates them or he'll, like, pour his beer backwards with his telekinetic powers. Um, the cat's name was Jake. Yeah. He was, like, a little tabby. Um, it was pretty nice. Uh, I thought the movie was pretty good. But uh, there is a scene where they pretty clearly sedate this cat so it's, like, not moving. And that's kind of fucked up. I didn't really – I didn't much care for that. But um, it's, it's movie magic, RJ. Yeah, well, at least like you could tell the cat was still alive. Is where, where like when I watch like Pet Cemetery, like it looks like they really kill that cat. Like I've I've seen animals go down by like injection, and that Pet Cemetery cat. I could be wrong. If not, it's that's like some sort of cinema magic, as you call it. But I'm pretty sure Pet Cemetery they kill that cat for real. Yeah, that's what it looks you know, like. You uh, know, I just actually read the uh, I think last week that they are doing someone is making a Pet Cemetery documentary. Uh, oh, yeah. Are they going to cover about how they killed that fucking cat? I don't know. Jesus, I, I can't. Ima- I don't know. We'll see if they uh, they just decide to ignore that or not that that part of the story. Um, but we sh- we shall see. I guess. I'm sure the people who did it would want them to ignore it, but yeah, uh, hey, maybe don't kill your cats. Uh, is there any, any other uh, slammer jammers you'd like to bring to all of our attention? Uh, just really quickly, I watched The Nice Guys, that Shane Black movie. That was pretty good. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think it did like super good at the box office, but uh, I thought it was worth watching, so people should watch that. Yeah, no, I I, and, I like I like the nice guys too. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like right now in my mind, I'm like, what do I think about when I think about that movie? Oh, right, it's uh the uh, morbid obesity of Russell Crowe. Oh yeah, he is like <laughs> it's so crazy. Like they they to their credit, they try to film like like dead on or like. He's always wearing a button shirt over his shirt, but unbuttoned. Like classic tri- tricks to help hide that uh, burger locker you got downstairs. But uh, <laughs> I was watching it with my girlfriend, and she wasn't really paying attention. And she looked up. She's like, <laughs> and she was just like, "Is John Goodman in this movie?" And I was like, "Oh god!" Uh, I was like, "They actually flipped spots because uh, John Goodman's kind of thin now." Yeah, he's felt. Yeah, yeah so. To, to put it into perspective, I guess, um, my girlfriend thought Russell Crowe was 1990s John Goodman. So, oh, Dan. It, so there you have it, Dan <laughs> Connor. Oh. Yeah. But uh, that's that's kind of about it. What what uh, were you been creeping on? Well, uh, what have I been what have I been creeping on? Well, um, first thing I'll throw out there is I watched uh, the. Um, Charles Band production uh, Arena from 1989. Um, it's like your classic story of a intergalactic fighting competition um, oh, on sure. a like space station or something or other off in the middle of nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just you know it's a sports movie. Um, it there's like nothing to really recommend about it beyond the fact that um, kind of renowned special effects makeup guy screaming mad george did the effects on that and it's just like really cool seeing a bunch of creature monsters and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um i couldn't tell you too much about it like i I watched it like you know not like a week ago but i'm like hmm i think uh what's her name claudia christian was in it who's like she's just like i don't know in a bunch of junk and then she was like on babylon 5 and stuff um (laughs) But, yeah, I don't know. That was, like, yeah. If you like special effects and monster stuff, you could maybe check out some uh, Mm -hmm. stills of it online or watch some short stuff on YouTube. I'm sure that people have isolated the highlights of that. Um, I'm not familiar with this Screamin' George guy. What's uh, what's his deal? Well, Screamin' Mad George, I mean, he... I guess like probably his most famous movie that you that someone might have watched was probably Predator. He worked oh, on okay. that. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he actually had anything to do with. Cause that's Stan Winston, I think. Right? Who uh, I thought actually, Jesse Ventura did all the effects work for that movie. Well, he did his own. He did his own effects. I oh, mean, okay. I mean, however, whatever means that one does to achieve sure. that type of, type of uh, physique. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he like yeah, I mean, Screen Man George worked on like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three and four. Uh, oh, that's the we, best one, number well, three. Yeah, those have like some like I think some of the effects in those movies like still like haunt me to this day. Just like uh, particularly the one where um, the suicidal kid is being drugged around like a marionette by his like arterial system, and yeah. it's like horrific. Mm-hmm. That that shit has stuck with me forever. And I think Super maybe cool. it's even is it four that's got the girl who's got like the, who's like the heroin addict. And then like, she's no, like, that's in three, two, that's in three, two, man. Yeah. So, and he's got the needle glove and he's yeah. like, he's like, uh, how about a hit? Ooh. Mm-hmm. And he just like jams her with needles. Super yeah. rad. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he, I mean, I'm not sure if he's, he exactly worked on those specific effects, but boy, mm-hmm. if, his involvement is, uh, if it's there, it's there. Uh, he worked on a, uh, Alex winter, uh, directed film, 
uh, mm. called Freaked from 1993, which is just amazing looking. Like it's just like it's a, a feast for the eyes. Uh, I would t- totally recommend people seek that one out. I think I heard about that one from uh, uh, I think Parker Bowman uh, of Ooh. Junk Food Dinner is a big fan of Freaked, and I remember hearing about that and and finding a copy of it. And yeah, that movie is really cool and totally underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like his other uh, Screaming Mad George. Uh, hot ticket would be society uh brian yesna's film uh which like that movie yeah i I know you're planning on watching it this october um so i won't talk to it too much but for the people who are already uh in the know on society you you know what i'm talking about but yeah screaming Mm -hmm. mad george he's like i think he's like he he directed one movie uh and he was like a co-directing thing uh the guyver which is based on the Giver uh, Japanese anime manga character. But yeah. this version stars Mark Hamill. <laughs> I think I've maybe seen some of that. Like, not the I, whole thing, but it sounds super familiar yeah, for some reason. I, I might have rented it back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... I'd have to watch it again to see if any of it seems familiar. I look at stills. Like, it doesn't sound like it's very good at all but i see some of the stills and it looks like it's got some cool like rubber monster suits and stuff like that so i don't know it might be worth like one of those like flip throughs as far as like just get jumping to the scenes kind of like arena um yeah you got nothing else going on yeah who might as well i who who else has nothing but free time on their hands Hmm? all right well thanks for the update there i I was actually like the name sounded kind of familiar but i didn't know why so yes yeah that's uh he's very informative yeah he's one of those like the superstar 80s special effects guys like rob botine or rob botten however uh yeah tom savini sure yeah see now i'm like so who did do the special effects for who did design predator is it stan winston or Rick baker it was, it's one of the two it was, i'm pretty sure it's stan winston but and then just ventura obviously he, he yeah. maybe was the inspiration he's got he that, a weird I, sexual he's, well, he's got tyrannosaurus that, well, he's, he's dream to, yeah he's got that vagina face too i mean well yeah but he's he's also like super into those conspiracy theories and stuff yeah. like that so i'm pretty sure like he was in the know for that right um so Continuing from watching Bringing Up Baby the other week, uh, oh. I decided I was going to maybe start watching a few more Howard Hawks movies. Oh, yeah. um, and I had like, I think between like waking up and like going to work, I had like two hours, which like really narrowed down some of my choices because Howard Hawks apparently just directs really long movies. So I watched mm-hmm. The Big Sleep because I hadn't seen that forever, um, yeah. which stars uh, old Humphrey Bogart and uh, Lauren Bacall. And that movie... Uh, I like it a lot. I couldn't begin to even recap that movie because it's like kind of one of those legendary films that just has like a completely obtuse and meandering plot. It's like mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense at all. And it's like it people knew that in 1946, and to this day, it still doesn't really make a heck of a lot of sense. But it's just a bunch of cool characters talking to one another and saying crazy stuff being all snappy and uh yeah it's like all style over substance as far as i'm concerned um it's sounds good to me though yeah no if it's a it's it's a good old-fashioned film nor if you Mm, will (laughs) cut me off a slice baby yeah that sounds good um but then then i took a big step down following that up with sergeant york uh, which is also a uh, howard hawk pick um Mm -hmm. actually the reason i watched sergeant york will tie into our uh film that we're discussing this evening because uh, oh, it also stars Gary Cooper um, but uh, so Sergeant York is boring as all mm-hmm. hell 
Uh, I never gave a crap about anything that was going on at any point. It's just, it's like the first hour, it's like somewhere in the South. And there's some really hilarious reviews from some, from haters of this film. Just talking about, it's like, it's just Beverly Hillbillies for an hour. And then it turns into a world war one for a little bit. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, I, there's nothing I would, I don't know. It's very U S propaganda. Cause it came out in 1941. It's about world war one. Oh, okay. And so it, yeah. it definitely, uh, it had an agenda. It had a mindset about, uh, getting drafted and going to fight and the good fight and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just kind of, I don't know. It is not a good Howard Hawks film. There's better ones. I'm uh, probably not going to watch any now based on that. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> thanks Sergeant so, York. You prick. Thanks, York. You ruined it. Look what you did. You little jerk. Yeah, uh, yeah, things didn't, let's see, oh, see, so I, uh, I, Charlie Bronson did up this week too. Ooh, we um, doubled down for yeah. the, uh, the fourth episode. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, turning into the Charles Bronson creeps. It's, it's fine, whatever, I'm yeah. sure people who are in one camp are in the other. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this number was, uh, the film Lola, aka Twinkie, um, directed mm. by Richard Superman Donner in 1970. Ooh. Um, this movie, it's a, it alleges to be a comedy. Um, yeah, but I mean, this movie has got a pretty sweet write up. Maybe I should, uh, delve into that one real quick. Yeah, lay that down on. Okay. Um, uh, it may be love, but it's definitely exhausting. A middle-aged writer of pornographic novels, Charles Bronson, meets and Mm -hmm. falls in love with a 16-year-old schoolgirl. This alone is cause for concern, but when the couple get married and move to America, the trouble and fun really begins. The fun never happens. Um, it's, it sounds like it's like Lolita meets like the Muppets capers, like <laughs> or the, like the Muppets take Manhattan. Yeah. Is that what it's like? That's what it sounds like it's being pitched oh as. God, Did they get into oh, hilarious hijinks? Oh, it sounds like such a better movie than what that is. The movie, I so we, I, we watched like a just like a bad like French rip of this movie because I don't even know if, like what sort of distribution this thing had um, yeah. like it was it's just like gray brown desaturated almost sepia tone film and it's like a it's supposed to be an upbeat comedy and all oh, the theme song uh, people should really seek that out of Twinkie it, it's it's something else but yeah this movie is nothing it's it's don't watch it just stay away. It's it's definitely hands down the worst Charles Bronson movie I've watched yet. It's Aww, it's, it's the bottom of the barrel for me. It was just boring and listless. Um, not and not even Chuck could uh, bring no, bring a little bit back. No, I mean he's sans mustache, which always is like that, that's a hurdle. I mean, there's yeah. very few uh, films without the stash that he can overcome uh, that yeah. that uh, handicap. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and this is definitely like the worst of the worst of his endeavors. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like how exciting is it to see Susan St. George just uh, wandering around in like schoolgirl outfit? I don't know. That could Susan St. George, Susan Susan George of yeah, Straw Dogs. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Um, anyway, yeah, it's just uh, it's crap. There's some there's some guys who are going to be all over that. Some dudes but, are all over all sorts of things. I'll, yeah, I'll take Muppets take Manhattan over yeah. that any day of the week, buddy. Mm, for sure. So, um, and then yeah, I guess like uh, last thing I'll really talk about is I think uh, on uh, Saturday I uh, came across this cool little list this guy on Letterbox put together of like the highest rated film of every year since like the beginning of time. 
uh, that yeah. were film existed. And I was like, oh, you know, a lot of these are just like silent short films that are like sometimes six seconds long to like, you know, 15 minutes each. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm going to mainline all these ones I've never seen before. So I, mm-hmm. I did that. And that was that was a fun use of my time. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it seemed like you made a whole day of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, it didn't take that long. But I mean, there's some it's neat. It's kind of a fun thing to see. Uh, one of the highlights was men walking around a corner. Um, mm-hmm. it, it barely delivers on its title. Um, cause mm-hmm. there's, there's like frames missing from the film. It, yeah. it, it's basically a guy on a street and he may have come around a corner. It's, it's too, t- it's too hard to call. It's, it's um, vague. It's, it's vague. Is it left ambiguous? Like uh, yeah. the end of inception? Like, yeah. it's like, is he going to go around that corner? Did he like, walk around the corner? Is, is this all a dream? Maybe that's what inception really was. Like, I don't know. I'm not Chris Nolan, but it's sound, this sounds basically like the same thing. Um, I guess I should have asked you before we started, but like, so what's the canonical way of pronouncing uh, George Millis' name here on the Criterion Creeps? George Millis. George Millis. Okay. So Jorge um, uh, Millis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Jorge Millis, uh, uh, you know, he's kind of the pioneer of like interesting kind of fantasy cinema. Uh, at the uh-huh. turn of the century. So I ran into a bunch of his movies while watch, watching uh, stuff on that list. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, his stuff is just fucking amazing. Um, it's mm-hmm. like it's so great. He has this real obsession with like his head. He's using his own head as a prop and stuff. And he just comes up with real gold. Um, mm-hmm. Like I wish things would come along that interesting now, but it seems like people have stopped trying to figure out cinema for the most part yeah. and are just really content with pointing cameras in the direction they need to be pointed. And that's about mm-hmm. it. So that, that well, so partly, so it, while this was like pretty neat thing to do, it was also really depressing. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you watch something like the kingdom of fairies and you just see like how much effort and like time was put into like figuring out all these like, uh, things like just laying out scenes it's like man this is amazing um Mm -hmm. another highlight was uh so i mean yeah basically you just watch any george millie's films and they're great Mm -hmm. um and then there's this one called the house of ghosts from 1908 which i had never seen before but it's got this really great like little uh still that goes along with it of this like horrific monster thing that and i was like Mm -hmm. oh i'll watch that it's only like six minutes long uh the director of it is like segundo de chamon i'm butchering is that the the pronounce or the correct pronunciation uh well uh do you like your words mispronounced on a regular frustrating basis you've come to the right place folks here at the criterion creeps podcast Mm -hmm. um anyway this monster ghost thing is like one of the scariest things i've ever seen in a movie um mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. really upsetting <laughs> and you've seen my uh my bathroom bloopers sorry no that's about it <laughs> yeah um I'll, I'll leave it off at uh i also uh decided hey i've got like seven hours to spend i'm gonna watch le vampires mm-hmm. um and from 1915, 1916, that old uh, serial from France, from uh, mm-hmm. Louis Fouad. Um, yeah, it's just okay. <laughs> um, just okay. Yeah, that's like, I mean, now now I'm just uh, hating on the classics, I guess. 
Um, oh, you, but, you, you've, you've gone above them now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So like, yeah, after like, uh, really tearing down seven samurai, uh, a couple weeks ago, I feel like nothing can stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think pretty highly of myself. And so like, yeah, it's really impressive that you made this like serial, like, you know, 90 years ago, but, or a hundred years ago, I don't care. It's like just lots of, it's good. Like it's fine. What has he done for you lately though? Yeah. Nothing. nothing. Um, so it's just a lot of scenes of, uh, people standing in rooms, one man, uh, at a desk, another man talking to that man at the desk and discussing mm-hmm. things in expository forms. Um, right. that's how you did things at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. There's like the big thing that I guess I always think about with this film is like, there's like a handful of really great visuals of just like the black mm-hmm. makeup sort of, uh, just like figures in dark cloaks kind of moving through like secret passages and stuff like that, which is all well and good. But I mean, when you have like a seven hour runtime, that stuff probably only makes up five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Did it have any super long fingernails? Uh, no, no, I'm not going to watch it then because now I just don't even care. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, Look, they lost me again. Yeah. And like, there's like the big, like female, like, People always call like the like original femme fatale of uh, Irma Vep, which um, I don't know. It's, Uma Thurman. Yeah, <laughs> Uma Thurman. Is that the same thing? Yeah, yeah. kind of. Um, okay. Yeah, if you change the letters around, RJ, it's it's vampire. <laughs> <gasps> I know. Spoiler. My socks just went like off my feet while I was screaming. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Spooky. Spooky. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I watched that. Um, it, it it'll so it's probably just not my cup of tea. Um, I like my silent things in the form of shorts. I like things about five to fifteen minutes long. Um, right now, I was looking at this list I've got of like stuff I should be watching, and I've got a D.W. Griffith's uh, Intolerance to watch. But mm-hmm. I look at the runtime of that fucker, and oh. Well- Oh, man. I don't know if you know this, but Cat from Outer Space is a nice 104 minutes. You could crank that out any night. Yeah, that, that's how long that wow, thing is. That, that's juicy. Mm-hmm. That's like that's a lot longer than I would have guessed. Oh, you would be surprised how many ways they can make a cat do things. Did you know that they have him rig football games and uh, billiards games and stuff like that, and no one is the wiser? Is that really the best use of that cat's time? He, he is from Outer Space. Well, they needed to do it to win the $120,000 to buy gold to replenish the fuel stores on his spaceship. Oh. Duh. What are you, stupid? Yes. Jeez. Yep, I am. It's like, it's like you don't even care about this movie at all. Not a bit. <laughs> that's, that's what we're talking about tonight, right? Is it is Cat from Outer Space not yeah. number spine number four? Uh, it, it is in the uh, RJ collection, I think. In my collection, it's number one, two, three, and four. Whoa. So. It's an expensive that, uh, uh, retrospective collection. Yeah, well, the first three are like just, like, as you said, retrospective. Behind the scenes, um, one of them is just a two-hour film of the cat sleeping, uh, naturally, of course. Is, um, in reference to the Chris Mark uh, or Chris Marker uh, film, the cat sleeping to music. Cat sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's close, but like, make it like three hours long, and then and then it's almost what we have. Well. So there you have it. There you have it. Um, 
So I guess we'll, we'll, this would usually be where we talk about news, but I've noticed that like the theme of our uh, news discussions have usually been more of our complaints with modern culture and the world. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I propose uh, uh, perhaps we should have a new title uh, instead of just a general news segment, um, something like Criterion Gripes or... Uh, the, uh, the gr- I think Criterion Grapes sounds a little bit better. Yeah, okay. I don't know if it's relevant, but... I don't know. So what was your second suggestion? Oh, perhaps just like the Griperion collection. Huh? Oh, <laughs> that's pretty hot. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that one. So I, I put my vote in for the second one, okay, but great, we can let the viewers well, decide. Well, Griperion collection, it shall be for the time being. Yeah. So RJ, uh, do you have any gripes you'd like to bring to the table? I have uh, a single one for you, and I'm not sure if it's necessarily a gripe yet. Uh, It remains to be seen, but uh, it is the only news I have, and I'm not really sure what to think, so maybe you can clear this up for me. I heard that uh, to the general public's surprise, uh, it's already been filming for two weeks. They are filming a spinoff to... uh, the John Turturro character from The Big Lebowski. Uh, Jesus? Uh, Jesus? Uh, nobody fucks with uh, the Jesus? Yeah. Uh, that character, apparently, like, uh, apparently they're already, they've already been filming it. Uh, it's a spinoff from him, from him. I do not think that the Coen brothers are involved in this. Oh. Nor is Jeff Bridges. But I did hear that he, I, I don't even know if this is, true but he gave his blessing that this be a thing like like somehow jeff bridges blessing is the the do or die thing for it to get made but anyways so i know what you're asking you're like but that character wasn't he like didn't he expose himself to like a kid is that what the movie's gonna be about and apparently not but the actual synopsis is a little sleazier so (laughs) go on the uh the um current title for this thing is called going places and it's going to star john Turturro, bobby cannavale from the station agent i believe i don't know what else he's in doesn't matter yeah and i think susan sarandon and this i'm not kidding this is the synopsis for this movie two thieves compete to give a woman her first orgasm <laughs> that's it that's it <laughs> That's it. That's all it is. So, Why? I don't know if that's Susan Sarandon because, like, don't get me wrong. Susan Sarandon's one foxy lady, but uh, are they playing her off as, like, like, a kid? Or is that the kid that gets Jesus in trouble into the Big Lebowski and why he has to go tell all his neighbors that he's a sex offender? I don't know, man. I this don't. Is, oh, do you understand this at all? Do you? No. I mean, okay. The first thing I would say is, uh, I guess, to, like to cut this, uh, what sounds to be awful thing, a, a break is that I remember when I heard years ago that there was going to be a Fargo uh, TV show. Uh, I uh, was like, I was just like, fuck off. It's like that's just the stupidest shit ever. Like, there's no yeah. way this could possibly be good. And then I watched the first season of Fargo and it's like, Oh, this is like one of the best television shows ever made. Um, so there's that possibility always, but you know what? I just like, what's the, it doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. What are you doing? John Turturro? Like fading gigolo wasn't a big enough sell for you. You have to like dig deep into your past characters. 
Mm. It seems weird though that like he would be allowed to do that. Like, like there's like at this point too, it's like based on that synopsis, it's like there's like no reason to even link this at all to yeah. Big Lebowski. It's like, well, he wasn't a thief, was he? Or no, he wasn't. A, he was just a guy bold. He was just a greasy dude who was yeah. like a, a sex offender, was right? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. So I guess maybe that fits, but. Like you said, it, this could have been anything. It could have still been a guy who bowled, and it could have just been a clever wink to the audience. Yeah. And it didn't have to actually be some sort of prequel to The Big Lebowski. Or, yeah, or it's just like some like calculated way to get traction so it gets talked about on podcasts. And then, <laughs> but then, and then it's like it's yeah. the most exposure that something like that generic and bland could be talked about because like no one cares about that in this world of uh superhero discussions like how is their film going to be talked about it's like well let's let's like link it to this beloved classic for no reason whatsoever well it does have bobby cannavale in it so it's got that going for it well whoever that guy is that's good good for him good for him (laughs) he's getting he's getting work i I, yeah yeah well all they need is to get john turturro in one of the marvel movies he could be like, uh, I don't know, Spider-Man. Get him in there as Spider-Man, and then he'll be hot enough coming off of that that he, he can make whatever movie he wants. He doesn't have to link it to anything. Ugh. So you heard it here first. Yep. John Turturro for Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, well, one of my gripes uh, I just sent to you before we uh, started recording uh, was a an Entertainment Weekly uh Busting out some press release material on a Batman animated movie called Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders. Uh-huh. Um, I'll just read it. Holy nostalgia, Batman. The Cape Crusader is returning to his 1960s television roots in a new animated feature film, Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders, featuring the voices of Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar. In the exclusive mm-hmm. trailer, which you can see above, Batman and Robin are seemingly on their way to a fiery death when the news that a new animated feature is on the way sparks a brilliant escape plan. West's Batman also teases the film's villains, including the Joker, Riddler, Penguin, and Catwoman. The classic Batman television series, which ran from 1966 to 1968, saw West's Batman and Ward's Robin face off against such villains as Newmar's iconic Catwoman. Fans can follow the bat signal to their favorite online and retail stores for Batman Return of the Cape Crusaders from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment and DC Entertainment when it's released for digital HD on October 11th and Blu-ray on November 1st. So RJ, what did you think of this news and this trailer? I think it's kind of bullshit that they're going to release the DVD an entire month before the Blu-ray. Why aren't they releasing it at this oh, on the same day? So, sorry, that was that's not the DVD being released on October 11th. That's the digital, digital? HD. Yeah. Uh, still, just put out the physical copy. People who are going to want to buy it are going to want to buy that. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't care. I think it's fine. Adam West is old, man. Let him do whatever he wants. I, I have no, like, hard ties to 60s Batman. Like, sure, I think it's cool, but, you know, I was born in 1990. I, uh, like, Michael Keaton is more important to me than Adam West and his whole gang. So, I don't know. I don't. This is just going to be marketed to old dudes, anyways. So let them have their cake, I guess. I I don't even know who's going to be the market for this. I mean, so when I saw this, I watched the trailer, and I just like the animation's horrible, which I think is like pretty well par for the course when it comes to these like DC animated movies. They're like all bad. They look bad. Um, 
the the voice acting was like particularly phoned in um like it's just like so flat and wooden um well how old are they like 90 exactly they're really old um and like you know they don't have a lot of passion for the material um they're doing this for a paycheck which is fine Mm -hmm. but i think my biggest problem with this is like when you're revisiting like the 1960s television show i think the biggest appeal for me for that material is that it's live action Mm-hmm. There, there's something about like that the actual cloth material and like paunchiness and like just like the absurdity of this stuff playing out in the real world. Whereas like right. when when it's like in an animated form, it doesn't matter. It's like well, it makes total sense that Batman and Robin like look the way they do because they're fake. They're not real. Mm-hmm. Whereas like kind of the uh, the camp nostalgia and like charm of like that old like TV show and that movie um, is that. It's it, there's like the there's this disconnect between how they're behaving and like everyone's treating it. it's like like it's completely normal like it's yeah. uh, so animating it just seems to be completely missing the point um, and it just reeks of just like oh we got this intellectual property and mm-hmm. we'll let's just do it and it just it's crap <laughs> I love I love old Batman 66 stuff when I was a kid uh, it played in syndication all the time on uh, YTV uh, mm-hmm. it was like I'd watch that and get smart all the time I loved it I still do and this you, you is were just... a kid in the 1960s is what you're saying right? yes yeah yeah um, okay. yeah that happened um, um, so from what I what I take it is that uh, you would if it was actually present day Adam West and Burt Ward out there in the suits, you would way rather watch that. Well, they kind of did do something like that. Um, like ten years ago, they did kind of like a Return to the Batcave special, but they had mm-hmm. like, and they had Adam West and Burt Ward uh, as themselves, and they were kind of doing these things where there's reenactments of like behind the scenes moments on the show. And they had like, they had new, they had like actors playing themselves in the old costumes and stuff, which like, I mean, it wasn't great or anything like that, but at least it had like uh, a bit more like love and care put into it. than I think this is going to have, like I had, I had not even heard of this until uh, this past week and it's coming out in like a month and a half. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't know how what the turnover is or like what the lead in time for something like this is, but I it just looks of it's nothing I'd ever want to look at other than I, I just wanted to get out there that this I think is stupid. <laughs> well, I think you got your point across, man. Yeah. I think uh, Burt Ward is gonna have some choice words with you though. I mean, because this is all he's got now, man. Dude's uh, like ninety years old. He's got nothing else. Yeah, and you're and you're just shitting all over it. I'm sure he does okay at conventions, doing autographs and stuff. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I met Adam West once. Yeah, he didn't say he didn't say anything. He just winked at me, which oh. I thought was, was was which I thought was fine. <laughs> I mean, like I said, he's an old ass man. He doesn't have to talk if he doesn't want to. I suppose so. So, well, that's the old people thing, right? They think they can do whatever they feel like. That's like, I get that all the time. Like, there was one time I was at, like, Pizza Hut, and I was picking up a pizza. Yeah, um, from the fine people at Pizza Hut, made made to deliver at any time. Uh, I don't know what I was trying to do there. I was trying to pull a, plug a sponsor, like, in the hope that Pizza Hut will sponsor us. But anyways, so I was at Pizza Hut, and this old lady was just staring at me for, like, nine minutes. I was just waiting there, and, like, she wouldn't, like, stop. And I took that as she just felt like she was above the law, you know? What if she stared at the wrong guy one day? 
What would happen? <laughs> uh, trouble. Trouble. That's right. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got one last gripe. Um, this, one, this, this one is uh, more of a discovery of my own. Um, so I like to pre-order uh, movies on Amazon.ca. I guess you could, sure. this is also a plug I maybe. Um, and so, you know, I was like to say, hey, here's some cool new Criterion Blu-rays coming out. And uh-huh. I'm just going to throw them up on my uh, pre-release thing and get that price maybe. And I can cancel later if I change my mind. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was like on there and I kept noticing that a lot of these like, you know, really good movies all have like one-star reviews on Amazon.ca. And I was like, like, that's weird. And so I'm like, okay, there's only one review. And so I scrolled down to check it out. And some guy named Andre Blanc and mm-hmm. his one-star review for, say, on Chimes of Midnight reads, not interested, one star. And <laughs> that's so, it? That's it. That's it? But yeah, like, I'm not interested. And I was like, wait, I think that's what like I saw on like the Beyond the Valley of the Dolls Blu-ray too. It just was like a one-star review. And I went and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the same name, Andre Blanc, one-star not interested exclamation mark so i clicked on andre blanc's name and um this this person uh says they're from cranbrook british columbia and like all all this account does is it just gives one-star reviews to movies on amazon.ca and all they basically all they basically yeah all they're saying is not interested exclamation mark for like these movies (laughs) but why what's the point I don't know what is what is he achieving by this like I understand like farmed like uh activity where they like you buy people to give you like good things but like I don't understand why something like is it just this guy he just fucking hates criterion movies so he or like old movies he just goes on is like not interested not interested interested. (laughs) but then he'll go on like like I don't know Iron Man 3 and like Fastas Tony Stank (laughs) Is that like is that what he does? Like not I don't even like it says nothing. It I I just he's I, just not interested. I, I fathom of this this type of man that has nothing else better to do but to leave uh, fake reviews for uh, movies that they're not interested in, or he finds it funny. <laughs> he thinks he's, he's being really hilarious. Did did you creep him on uh, other social medias? I, I didn't even think to do that um well as a as a fellow creep on the creep cast yeah I'll, I'll show you how to do it later so that they can't trace you back through the internet yeah trust uh, me let's see here uh well no they, it's so random though they'll give like a blu-ray of blow <laughs> starring johnny depp one star not interested uh, uh but ray liotta's in that Ar- thing and ray liotta's really good in that Ar- arrow videos uh release of dark uh water coming out here one star uh, not interested. Um, something called 99 River Street uh, coming out on Blu-ray. One star, not interested. I think you've stumbled onto something pretty big, Jared. <laughs> a Touch of Zen if- Blu-ray, one star, not interested. You you need to call Jesse Ventura. Tell him that we have a Chemtrails-related uh, incident occurring right now. Get him, get Jose Chung. We need to get to the bottom of what's going on here because I don't buy it. Oh, oh, there's a, wait, wait, wait. So there's a, a one-star review for The Replacements. Uh, the, the Keanu Reeves movie? Correct. Uh, okay. One star, I like soccer, not football, exclamation mark. Son of a bitch. Uh, they also gave Varsity Blues one star, and I like soccer, not football. 
Um, <laughs> but we, but John Voight. South Park, bigger, longer, uncut, one star. I dislike South Park. Why does he do these things? Uh, oh, can, can you can you filter some, his ratings? Can you find like a, a a positive one? There's some French on here too, uh, where the, he likes to say "Je ne me parle westerns" on Western films, which I think trans translates probably to "I don't like westerns." So, can, I don't I don't get it. What 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 is his deal? What, what is Andre LeBlanc's uh, Endgame? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I really don't know. Well, we'll try to we'll reach out. We'll try to get him on the show, <laughs> and we'll we'll see if we can. He might just reply that he's not interested, but well, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Well, I I hope that he maybe finds our show on uh, iTunes or something like that, and, and leaves a one star comment. Yeah, <laughs> and just says not interested. <laughs> Well, he won't be the only one doing that, but uh, at least there will be a good reason for yeah. that. Well, I mean, like, will he have even listened to the show? <sighs> not if he's not interested. Yeah. But, I mean, if you if he doesn't like Keanu Reeves in the hit movie The Replacements, also starring Gene Hackman, then what are you going to do? That movie is just pure delight. You ever seen it? I, I did, actually. I might have even seen that in theater. Keanu Reeves was on a boat, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I got to say about that movie. But is it as good as Hardball? Ooh, that's tough to say. Hardball is undoubtedly a better movie, but I think Replacements has its own charm and goofy fun. There's a scene where Keanu Reeves is snorkeling underwater, and he throws a big metal football under the water. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's my five-star review of The Replacements. Beautiful. And I think uh, this will take us up to our break. And so after that, we're going to start talking about what brought us here to the party. A little Federico Fellini's Amacord from 1973. Mm-hmm. Maker of La Dolce Vita, eight and a half 
and Satirica. Here comes a new masterwork. The new Fellini. Amaracord. And we're back, and we're talking Amarcord from 1973. Talk a little bit about the film first. Paul and Snow falls over the village of Borgo San Giuliano. Winter has ended and spring has arrived. The traditional bonfire or burning of the Witch of Winter is held, and people are just burning their shit and even half-heartedly joking about burning a man alive. Mm-hmm. We are slammed with dozens of characters. The town haughty Gradishka a blind accordion player, a stumble bum, this academic guy running around on a bike who can't, who can talk to us, the viewer directly, Volpina, the werewolf, uh, I don't know what you call her, prostitute or mm-hmm. nymphomaniac, and many others. Um, it's just a, a tableau of half-remembered uh, recollections from Fellini's own uh, childhood, uh, growing up in this similar uh, seacoast Italian uh, village. Uh, what follows is a largely plotless film. Uh, it's just a series of vignettes of uh, nostalgia and his own memories, um, all kind of during the with the backdrop of uh, it, fascism in Italy uh, in the thirties. Um, we get a montage of the of his school years, um, schoolboy antics, family life, nightlife, uh, group masturbation in the back of a car. Uh, checking out peasant ladies' hot asses, getting onto bicycle seats, uh, giant talking Mussolini wreath heads, political torture, uh, town-mandated prostitution, uh, the zaniness of mental illness, car races, sucking on big fat titties, dead mothers, (laughs) and a wedding. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that first came to mind with this movie for me 
Um, the, for what I know of Federico Fellini, just like reading interviews, it's been a long time since I actually had watched a Fellini movie, is that mm-hmm. he was like really interested in comics and illustration. Um, this movie for me like came across as really like comic book in its like compositions and like characters, just like the sort of people he casts in the movie just look like uh, caricatures of human beings. Um, yeah. I, I, th- I think it was like a Grant Morrison uh, interview when he was talking about All-Star Superman and just talking about how his idea for um, like Metropolis as drawn by Frank Quitely was sort of like a Fellini movie. And I kept thinking about that, like how, man, this could be a, a Frank Quitely live action movie pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. Even like, and there's like even like a Jacques Tati, like sort of like compositions and like kind of visual gags that are just like everywhere and just like layers of characters like all doing things in the background and people talking over one another um there's a actually even going further with this like uh, cartoonist thing is there's the one uh uh cartoonist milo manera uh who's who became internet famous there a couple years ago because he drew a picture of spider woman's butt that made everybody really mad um Mm -hmm. this is a quote he had about uh, uh fellini Plot, development, narrative thrills and chills of only relative importance for Fellini. What matters to him is the rele- uh, revelation of marvels, the awe-inspiring bringing to light of secret essences, the the ineffable universal transfiguration uniting everything. Which is just like a way of saying uh, he's a really great filmmaker, and I think this is probably one of his best movies. I like this movie a lot. Um, I don't even know where to begin uh, talking about why I like this movie so much. Just like so much, uh, just like there's like that. I think the thing, the scene that really summed it up for me is there's a moment when uh, they're coming to the beach because mm-hmm. uh, they're going to go out into their boats to go see the uh, giant ship that's going to be uh, coming by. And just like there's this roving camera, and uh, you have that like the amazing Nino Rota score. Uh, mm-hmm. Just playing, and you just all these characters just like flowing by. There's, but it's all kind of central. Like the central figure of this shot is this like just like overweight guy in his swimsuit riding his bicycle, and um, you see mm-hmm. all these other characters kind of passing him by. A bunch of school kids like uh, on the sidewalk walking along, and it's just like man, what like a uh, just amazing thing this movie is like because like you watch so many movies and like most movies have nothing resembling that at all. Um, right. It's just drives me crazy <laughs> uh, how easy yeah. how easy he makes it all look mm-hmm. um yeah so, so rj did this movie have enough <clears throat> body humor for you well to lead off I, i'll have to i have to preface this a little bit i went into this movie with heavy trepidation i have only seen two other fellini flicks Eight and a half, which is undeniably pretty great. And La Dolce Vita, which I watched a couple months ago. And although it was good, I thought it was A, the longest movie of all time. B, pretty boring at times. And C, in a post eight and a half world, a little bit unnecessary. So... I went into this one really kind of not looking forward to it because the last Fellini kind of left me 
just not wanting to be alive, I guess, yeah. anymore. Well, I'll, I'll mention, yeah, because I think even before we recorded like a single episode of the podcast yeah. and uh, like when we were just talking about doing this, you were like really dreading this movie. I was dreading this a lot because uh, at that point, uh, my Fellini was batting 500. He had one great one and then one that just felt too much of the same, too long. I, anyways, so I was really not looking forward to this. And then I sat down on a Saturday afternoon and I watched this one. And I thought it was a pretty, 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 uh, pretty good. Uh, I thought it was a very good movie. It did not, it did change my mind on Fellini. I am now more open to some more Fellini joints. Good. But I don't think it was great. Okay. And there are a few small things about it because I, I will say there are there's a lot of things I loved, uh, especially what you said with the body humor. Uh, there is a character named the Fart, which was my absolute <laughs> favorite thing in this so, movie. So last week when you started making fart sounds uh, yeah. <laughs> at the thought of watching another Fellini movie, I already had watched the movie and yeah. I, I already like was like oh how how appropriate because I mean yeah. how quaint like. like whenever something thoughtful or insightful is said in this movie, like fart shit, piss and people calling one another assholes yeah. just like happens. Like there, there's a scene where like there are characters that have monologues like to the audience. And there's like one where the guy's like talking about really serious stuff. And then out of like in the corner of the screen, it's just like, <laughs> and he's like, Hey, he's like, who did that? <laughs> so like, that is absolutely my kind of, my kind of stuff. You're kind I of love flick. That. So before I kind of dive into the things I did like, I'll just mention the few things that not not to say that like I didn't like it. And it's kind of weird because I'll, I'll just say usually these are things I really like in movies, but it kind of lost me a little. So as you said, it's kind of it's kind of it's a very abstract film. It kind of just pans between people between stories yeah like and i usually like that but i thought it was kind of a little disjointed and i thought that it kind of showed where there were certain uh certain scenes that just had very bizarre tones like you would get like the horny teen boys like all jerking off in the van and then it would go to like his dad getting like interrogated by like gestapos and like getting forced to drink like oil and stuff and I thought it was kind of a weird contrast, but like I get why he does that because I guess that's the point, right? Like that's how he remembers these things. Yeah. It's like he remembers the town life, the goofy stuff, but then there's also that like hidden dread of like fascists like in like coming out at any time. So like I get all that stuff. I just I didn't think I didn't think it went together as well as it could have and like i don't know how you would change that i have no suggestions to make this movie better or different or anything like that i'm just saying that that's kind of where it lost me a little bit so for me it's not a masterpiece right or anything like that and it's for those kinds of reasons however there is some absolute amazing stuff in this like as i said the character named the fart I love that. It was absolutely amazing. The kind of it, it reminded me of Stephen King's Dreamcatcher, the book, not the movie. Uh, how at like any given time there was just farting 
and I thought that was really cool. Um, <laughs> it's, there was, it's like uh, it's like the movie Dreamcatcher uh, promised to be and never delivered on. Yeah, it's it's the the promised potential of that amazing book uh, and what it could have been. Um, that's basically what it was. Uh, one of my absolute favorite little quotes here that I had written down was one guy said that the lady wanted to get um, posterior intimacy. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really fun. I've never heard that before, and I'm going to try to lay that down with the missus later tonight, see if she flies with that. She nice. might. I, I'll, I'll, I'll ref- let you know next week um, whether, or not, in the, whether or not it goes. If that doesn't go, I'll try the fart gambit and see if that works. Um, like you said, there's there's kids jerking off in cars. There's ladies with huge breasts. There's an entire segment on asses. What what I got from this movie was that Fellini is just a big old horn dog. Uh, I don't I think thought, anyone would deny that. No, I'm I'm sure that's been <laughs> said many times no. before. But yeah. uh, this was where I personally found that out. Um, there were two other lines that I thought were really funny, just out of context to lay them on you. Uh, one was the doctor's an asshole. I can go to bed whenever I want. I thought that was fun. And then the other one was uh, dip your cock in a coffee. So I thought that was a fun line too. Yep. Um, but no, yeah, like there's a lot of stuff that I like. Like it's indulgent. It's kind of depraved, carnal. Yeah. It's just kind of, I all guess. My favorite words. Yeah. And farts. So, um, oh, there was one other line I thought was really funny where uh, when you see kind of like the main family and the dad's getting mad at the kid and he chases him out of the house. And then the dad says, who fathered this piece of shit? Yeah. I thought that was really funny. So I don't know. Mm. Um, but anyways, like that's kind of the stuff that I liked. So kind of, I guess the point, like it worked is teen boy humor, just a bunch of horn dogs farting and looking at skirts and butts and stuff. So that's my kind of jam right there. Yeah. Hey, uh, do you want to know who uh, has this on their top 10 films of all time list? Larry Flint, Ray Bradbury. Ooh, yeah. I do like old Ray. I know. I didn't know he was an old horn dog too, though. Oh, he probably yeah. They're all basically all. I mean, when you're old, you become a horn dog. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess. it comes with the territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. some other facts to throw out there. Uh, this movie was uh, uh. Fellini was nominated for Best Director and for Best Writing on this film um, for original as an original screenplay. It won Best Foreign Film in 1975, which is, I guess is like two years after it was released in Italy. So I guess that was the like old, old times when things had like weird uh, lapses as far as um, like how release schedules work. Release unlike un- unlike yeah. these days. Even still now, like things will like be like released and screened for critics in 2015. They'll appear on best of lists on in, for like the best films of 2015. But like no one can watch it till 2016. And right, right. yeah, maybe it's one of those type of deals. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, um, there's 
just wonderful. I, I, I love quotes tonight. Quotes, um, yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert had this uh, bit here, uh, so, which I think will be actually pretty helpful, uh, maybe as a guide for like as we're going through the uh, Criterion Collection, because all these mm-hmm. directors uh, are quite well represented in the uh, Criterion Collection. Right. Um, so Ingmar Bergman achieves his greatness through thought and soul searching. Alfred Hitchcock built his films with meticulous craftsmanship, and Louis Benwell used his fetishes and fantasies to construct barbed jokes about humanity. Humanity. But Fellini, well, movie making for him seems almost effortless, like breathing, and he can orchestrate the most complicated scenes with purity and ease. He's the Willie Maze of movies, and like that's like the, like when I think about um, like in eight, eight and a half, like just like those scenes mm-hmm. of like all those characters dancing. It's like kind of like yeah. that. Uh, there's like the old cliche people trot out of like, oh, it's like so Fellini esque or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. there's like those like in those things where you're like, yeah, no, he has those things in his movies. And I guess like one of the things he would do on set with his movies is that uh, the actors would be uh, like, I mean, you probably noticed that like his characters are everyone's dubbed. Even like yeah. they're, they're all, yeah, Itali- yeah. and that's like one of those like weird Italian like production things where characters, everything would be dubbed in later. Yeah, uh, be American mm-hmm. actors or if they're speaking, if they're speaking English or they're speaking Italian, they get dubbed into Italian after the fact. Right. Um, but I guess like what he would have doing in his scenes is he'd have music playing. And so they're like, his characters are sort of always moving and bobbing to sort of like a, a music that's not necessarily there. And mm-hmm. I think that it creates this really like a uh, great effect of just like uh, a liveliness in like mm-hmm. all his scenes. Um, I'm just, yeah, that stuff is just so neat to me. Um, the one, one thing that came to mind was like, there's that, uh, Italian race car scene, um, yep. which apparently is a thing that happens in Italy. Um, and like, there's a Wes Anderson short film, uh, called like Costello Cavalcanti from like 2013. And mm. it's just, it's just Jason Schwartzman. Uh, he crashes his like sports his little sports car in uh into a cafe or something like that and he mm-hmm. or he gets out and has coffee at a cafe and i was like oh yeah it's just like in uh Amercord now in my mind um yep. and even like there's like the grand hotel which like yeah, yeah uh it's like oh yeah grand budapest hotel and then there's like the the one like academic uh narrator uh in Amercord. it's like oh it's like bob balaban in moonrise kingdom it's just like, oh, okay, yeah. like it's yeah. like, man, what's Anderson? He he really digs into his Criterion collection, I guess, before he starts making a movie. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why he has a, a lifetime achievement award there, and anything he makes just automatically gets filed away into the Criterion, because he he must be the number one fan, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think every single one of his movies un- up until uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, which is just only a matter of time, has been put into the Criterion Collection. So, he, I think he, Moonrise was only a year after home release when it got put in. Yeah, so. that was with uh, Darjeeling Limited too. It's only mm-hmm. it's it's all just a matter of time. Um, yep. So yeah, the first time I watched this movie, um, I found it to be this like really joyous, wonderful, rambunctious type of movie. Uh, watching it the second time with the commentary track going, I, I, the the sinister nature of people really started to come more into focus, and like kind of like how like um, mean people can be. <laughs> like, how so? Or just like there's like in that opening scene, like everyone's just like kind of. Uh, like bitter, like no one actually is hateful of one another, but people are yeah. very annoyed with people, which I think is mm-hmm. super real, like so well observed. Cause I think yeah. like, yeah, it's just, if you lived in a small community where like everyone has like grown up with one another for like generations, like you, mm-hmm. everyone knows everybody, everybody knows everyone's dirty little secret. And like, 
uh, you still have this like kind of like overarching sort of like Catholic church body over top of everyone kind of guiding like the morality of everyone. So you still have to be kind of nice to people. But right. I mean, there's all these like moments where like characters are just like really like mean to one another or just like backhanded to one another. And like, I think I always come back to that scene where like, um, there's like the one guy who's at the top of the big like pyre that they're about to set on fire, and they, they start mm-hmm. making jokes about, "Ah, oh, we're gonna let you burn alive." Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. ah, that old chestnut. <laughs> no, I thought that was pretty fun too. It's pretty playful. Yeah, I mean, who hasn't been put on top of a pyre before? I I know. <laughs> being chased yeah. out of town um but yeah like because i had read like some people like who don't like this movie they had made some comments about like how there's like not a likable person in the film and i was like when i was reading that mm-hmm. after watching and i was like that's nuts and then i was watching it the second time I'm like yeah i could see that but at the same time yeah. there's just so much like movement and like i don't know like moments are just like bouncing back and forth like you're getting a, such a huge range of like human uh beings and like people at their worst and best that i yeah. mean how could you zone in on that one thing unless you you think that people should always be like always like great which is ridiculous because yeah. people just aren't like that's oh yeah people yeah. suck that's the point like, that, that's, everybody that's, sucks that is the point um yeah. yeah uh so yeah uh i checked out the commentary track by two dudes <laughs> two dudes yeah. is that new uh yes that's just the first uh, duo um, and, and it's, it seems like they actually recorded uh, at the same time like almost like they were doing podcasts before podcasting <gasps> yeah Ooh. how um, uh, how very tart yeah <laughs> couple of tarts couple of tarts um yeah so these they're 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 going about this in the very academic way they they're really all about mm. like critiques of like power structures and male female relationships within systems and boring uh yeah it's it's kind of film scholarship at its finest and worst um <laughs> it's like i mean rj do you think Fellini was ever really concerned about representations on the screen of people no all he cared about was blowing the biggest fart or filming the yeah. fattest ass well, like it's pretty clear I mean, this goes back to, like, the thing I was talking about with, like, cartooning and comics, which is, like, a, f- uh, a medium which is about, like, iconic represents- re- representations of people. Like, you you yeah. go th- you go by the stereotype and you go with the funniest way of depicting people because it's funny. Mm-hmm. And, it's yeah, short- and, it, and it's shorthand. I mean, I, you think about, like, all those, like, the school teachers that they kind of, like, blow through. And it's, like, each one of those characters, it's, like, yeah, they are drawings. Like, there's, like, uh, one of the mm-hmm. special features on the... Um, or sorry, supplements on the uh, supplements. Yes. Come on, get it right. Yeah. Um, Jeez. I know. Um, the supplements, there's a one that is about um, the, his drawings for like the mm-hmm. film and just like, yeah, he has, he has these like visuals in his mind about what these like characters look like. And he, he jotted them down and then he cast people that like mm-hmm. kind of suit that energy of what those people look like in drawings. And so I'm not really, I don't think he worried about like how, how does like, do particular like gender types or like how yeah. like certain like uh people's roles in society be represented in film i don't think he gave a crap he just he worked it because he's like he knows how people watch movies because he was like a person who made movies and watched movies um yeah. well it's a visual thing too yeah. and it's real like everyone like you said the teachers everybody has that like old teacher that you can just look at and you're like yeah i know that guy it was like an old bald white guy with like his tongue like sticking out of his mouth just a little bit or like his other characters like like the the village fox like that lady or the young teen heartthrob with his soft blonde hair just kind of peeled back a little bit like Mm. these are all 
all real life people that everybody knows. So I think it makes sense. Like yeah. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's like how a lot of like successful things operate. Um, you, yeah. you use types to like kind of construct things cause they're like packed with, uh, cultural knowledge of people are going into watching these things. I mean, even though this is a movie about, uh, Italy, um, I mean, I get, I get these like shorthands cause these are kind of like, I mean, at least in the Western world, these are like universal cues, um, that like, right. I think are like, yeah, you have to use these things. Cause if you're constantly deconstructing things, you, like people are just not going to get lost, uh, with what you're wanting to mm. do. Mm. Um, well, I guess like one thing that I kind of wanted to maybe bring up, um, was just like, uh, we we had we've talked in private about the television show Stranger private. Things, private, private Stranger private Things, conversations. which is a, a television show that deals in nostalgia, um, and so mm-hmm. I was like thinking about that when I was when I think about Amarcord, which is like a movie about nostalgia from a lived experience, whereas right. something like Stranger Things is nostalgia for entertainment, <laughs> like which is like the, which is like why I don't know. Why? I, I think, think it's nostalgia like is, for like nostalgia's sake, right? Well, is that what you mean? Or? I, I just mean like it's almost like having it's like it's like I have nostalgia, like you know, one like so if Amarcord, which is like you know, um, whatever, uh, in Roman language was like roughly translates to I remember. So it's, I mean, it's about him actually talking about. Uh, memories that he experienced in his life. Like these aren't Mm -hmm. things that he watched on television. Stranger Things is nostalgia for entertainment. Like it's, it's nostalgic for like, it's like, these are the movies I have nostalgia for. It's not like about what those filmmakers experienced. Cause I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm not expecting like every movie with like, like alternate like parallel universe monsters mm-hmm. to like oh you have to like did you experience that <laughs> but no i mean, I, th- but, I think what you mean is do, do you mean that it's like insincere it's what well, i don't think it's insincere i think like there's a legitimate nostalgia but i think it's like a bad form of it i guess like i like don't i don't pandering not even pandering like i think it's just like misguided it's misguided comes to mind it seems like it you're just going for um it's like being nostalgic for something you'd never did it's it's, yeah. it's so hollow um like okay yeah like yeah it's like why do you have like why do you care about like steven spielberg movies more than like what your life was like growing up i guess um right. i mean mm-hmm. i guess there's a bit of snobbishness i guess in the mm-hmm. way i think about it but for me i mean like why would i make a movie about like i want to make a movie about like Texas Chainsaw Massacre-esque sort of events happening in my life. And it's like, well, I watched a movie about that, but I, I have nothing to say about that beyond, wasn't that cool when I watched that in another movie before? Right. Um, well, I guess you could say they're, they're just trying to emulate something they like, but right. I, I know what you mean. Like, I, I, it didn't, that kind of stuff didn't bother me as much, like, like in Stranger Things, the nostalgia stu- nostalgic stuff, like, because it seems pretty clear, like, a lot of like, not just you, because I remember you said that a long time ago, but, like, I've seen other people bring that up recently about it. Like, it didn't bother me that much. There were just certain instances where it seemed like entire scenes were set up specifically to deliver, like, a nostalgic, like, comment. Like, there's a scene later in this season where, like, uh, they call the the high school teacher to, like, get his opinion on something, but they, like... 
they call him and he's watching the thing and he's like explaining how they did like the special effects and stuff. But like the reason they called him, like it's totally unnecessary because the they like need help building something. But the girl who like needs it, like she knows what to do already because she's the one who like told him this is what we need. So there was like no real reason to call that guy other than to like show a scene of him watching this like now famous 80s movie. So I don't know. Stuff like like that was like one thing I thought was weird, but right. some of the other things I, I can I can get by or get past. Like it didn't bother me as much. I guess like well, I mean in that case with that teacher, like that teacher character. I mean, it seems like the nostalgia with that character is because not so much that like the, like the Duffer brothers had a teacher that was actually like that, but it's more like this is nostalgia for those type of characters in movies that we mm-hmm. watched rather than like what my actual teacher was like. Cause there's always yeah. like, well, he's like the guy he's around cause he knows about science. And so he's useful um, when it comes to um, like fi- giving information that's relevant to the plot. <laughs> cause the kids right. don't know. So he's like the Mr. Wizard kind of character, but it's like right. that character doesn't ex- like, it's, it's not a lived in experience. That's like, the lived in like memory of watching a TV show that had that type of character. And I just like, for me, it's like, well, I know which one's more interesting to me. (laughs) That's something I would watch. Yeah. Well, you brought it up once too, like the absent father, like the aloof parent, like just totally unaware of what's going on. Like that seemed like another one of those things in that show. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who's to say? I don't know. I don't know why I felt the need to bring up that. But I guess like when I'm thinking about Amarcord and I think about nostalgia at this moment in time, there's that's the online discussion about that Stranger Things show, which uh, mm-hmm. I will just throw out there that I watched the first five episodes and I just didn't bother watching the last three episodes at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know. Yeah, but you're you're also a bad person. Well, yeah, I am a bad person. That, yeah. that goes without say. Yeah. Uh, definitely. There's, there are a few shows I just give up on. Daredevil season two was one. I watched half of that and I just said never again. But well, not never again. I just don't care anymore. I think I lasted about 15 minutes on old Daredevil. Yeah, well, I plunged through for a while and then it just got to be too much. Too much. You know what Netflix doesn't have? Uh, farts? Well, yeah, it doesn't have Amarcord. That's true. Yeah, so, they can't handle the farts. So what's the point? What is the, the point? point? Um, yeah. it, well, actually, well, last week, or actually on the Seven Samurai week, uh, uh-huh. we we had a little uh, feature uh, uh, talking about like who hates this movie. I think oh, I, I think I would like to make that a regular uh, talking point uh, going forward. Yeah, that um, sounds fine. So eventually, in in a couple episodes, I will be the reviewer for that. As you know, but we'll leave, we'll we'll let the audience discover that on their own. That's right. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Well, uh, the first the first one I would like to mention here is uh, uh, Doctor Christmas gave Amarcord mm. half a star, and okay. sa- and says actually really boring, the least interesting <laughs> oppressed Italians I ever seen. Always knew Fellini was a hack. Okay, I have one question for him. What other oppressed Italians has he seen? If these if these are the least interesting ones, what what are what are some other ones? I need I need him to follow through with well, his comment. Well, in a few in a in a few months, uh, RJ, you, we're we're going to be watching Salo, and uh, oh god, we're we're, we're, we're going to be coming back to uh, Italian fascism, baby. Yeah, well, that's another one I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> there in the next like 
10 episodes, there's two that I am absolutely dreading and one that I, I'm not going to watch. So, okay. but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, we've got a uh, heretic. Uh, he gave this one star. He says repulsive. The nostalgia here feels like an early grave, a refuge for someone who has stopped living. What? Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, Jeremy Jones. Uh, he oh, gave, Jer? Old Jer. Oh, he, Jer. Uh, he gave it one and a half stars. He says, mm-hmm. Moving it, up. Italian cinema and Fellini in particular continues to elude me. This is the least impressive offering I've seen from Fellini yet. Everything I don't like about his other films is magnified here to almost parodic parodic uh, proportions and insubstantial review for an insubstantial film please skip it oh god if that's how he feels about this i can't how's he ever gonna make it through la dolce vita i don't know man jeez no he's he's like he's pleading with you too to skip it like he really had a problem with this movie i guess yeah people people have problems out there my friend well (laughs) I'm not as heated up as the last time we did this, but because uh, that movie I really liked, and hearing criticisms drove me crazy. But um, <laughs> yeah, those, the, those people that, are wrong. Paul, so. Sa- Paul Saldner, he really uh, oh, hit it out of the of ballpark. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can get more in, um, input from him on other classic movies soon. Yeah, hopefully he pops up again one of these days. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that concludes our discussion of Amarcord. Uh, after the break, right. you'll uh, hear from us again, I guess. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. If I haven't gone down. Yes. The end of another episode. If you say so. Yeah. We're just going to keep on trucking along here. Mm-hmm. Making that inevitable march. I don't know. Like, There's no end in sight. Um, well, I'm going to stop before La Dolce Vita, which is like <laughs> 300 or something. Whatever the episode before that is, that'll be my last one. Okay. Because I, I can't watch that movie again. <laughs> I, and it's it's weird because that's some people's favorite movies. I saw there was that recent Twitter thing when people are naming their favorite movies, and I saw that pop up on other people's, and I was like, how? It's like how is that your favorite one of your favorite movies? Well, I think yeah, uh, Roger Ebert does have that in his like top ten uh, list that he submitted to uh, Sight and Sounds like poll they did. God, even in 2012, he had it in there. Well, I think. What What does he know? Uh, he's I, never. What, he's never been a. A uh, four-figure for these kinds of things. No. 
He's a bu what a bum. <laughs> what a bum. I, I I recall him also giving a, a four out of four stars for a, a a little movie called Happiness. So I can't really trust the old Roger Ebert. Yeah. That's about he, what that's what I gave it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't trust you either. <laughs> yeah, you never know when we're gonna creep along and uh, hit you over the head with some Todd Solins. Uh, not me, man. Uh, you leave me out of that. <laughs> Good times. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we do this all over again. Uh, this time, we're heading over to France. And uh, mm -hmm. I guess we're watching another movie about... Back to France. Back to France. And uh, mm -hmm. we're going to be learning about someone else's like childhood in like a mm -hmm. pseudo-autobiographical type of deal. And that movie is going to be The 400 Blows. <laughs> okay. Sure. Blows. Blows.